Thank you so much for that Christ-exalting song. Take your Bible with me, turn to the book of Philippians, the place of our scripture reading just a moment ago, Philippians chapter 1. Now, we've announced this morning that we will be having our pie and praise service, which means that you'll have an opportunity tonight to give a, a brief testimony. Okay, again, you're not preaching to the congregation. You're not going to do that because uh, I don't want to hear it. And uh, you're not, you're not going to give a big long prayer request of some time, type because that's not what this is about. The, the evening is really about praising the Lord, for praising the Lord, what you're thankful for. Uh, we try to develop throughout our year an emphasis in my preaching schedule. I have an emphasis on the idea of thanksgiving because thankful people are mentally sound people. Mental soundness and wholeness begins with a grateful heart and all of the characteristics that go with that. And it is a biblical principle to be thankful. And so we encourage you sometimes to make a list. And our church has done this together as a church family. And I've encouraged you individually. Write down three things every day. Three things you're thankful for. They have to be different every day. Wait a minute, Pastor Monty. <laughs> every day of the year? Oh yeah, you should be able to do that. Now, you say, well, Pastor Monty, you know, I'll, I'll say I'm thankful for my family. So that knocks them all out. I'm thankful for my church, that knocks that, no, no, no. You want to get specific, okay, you want to get specific. You want to say, for example, if you're saying, rather than just say I'm thankful for my church, you want to get specific. So you want to say something like, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for Pastor Monty. It's what you want to do, that's where you, you want to go, that's where you're going to end up. Not, not Pastor Wall or anything like that, but uh, that would be going a little too far. But uh, So you want to be kind of specific. So when we have the testimonies on uh, Pie and Praise evening, I love, do you know what I love? I love to hear the kids' testimonies. I like their little testimonies, okay? Some kid raises, what are you thankful for? And the kid raises his hand and says, horses. Doesn't even have a horse. By the way, mom and dad, that was a subtle hint. Christmas is right around the corner. That was a little bit of a hint. Uh, but I guess that's something a person could be somewhat thankful for, whether you had a horse or not, because it was horses that won the Wild West, and we're here because the Wild West got won. And so you could do this great extrapolation in your mind. That may be specific in a way that you wouldn't go, but this morning I want to focus our attention and, and kind of help us in this Thanksgiving season to focus our attention in one area, and I'm not saying only think about this, <laughs> we can be grateful, and I'm not telling you what to say tonight in your testimony time, okay? You've got a testimony that's individual. But I want us to consider for a moment Paul's great thanksgiving in regard to the people who were in his life. And he writes the letter to the church at Philippi with the purpose initially of just thanking them. By the way, there is no more positive, joyful letter written in the New Testament. If you want a dose of positivity and hope and joy in your life, you need to read the book of Philippians because this church was a stellar church. The Philippian church, of course, we know from our little mini-series on Philippians, <coughs> the Philippian church, it was the very first church in Europe. Uh, Paul wrote this letter, so he planted the church there. He wrote the letter probably about 10 or 11 years after he had left there. 
And, and he wrote the letter as an encouragement to the Philippian church. Kind of the background to where Paul wrote the letter, I believe to be Acts 28, verses 30 through 31, when he was under Roman house arrest, he was waiting to appear before the Caesar. But he had founded the church 11 years earlier, and he made many, many significant lifelong relationships there, not just casual connection. We know this because in the pages of the book, he'll name several church members. So he knew the people that were there. He named some troubled ones too. We'll get into that after a while. Uh, but what had the church of Philippi done? They had supported Paul financially. And Paul says this, not just in the beginning of my ministry, but throughout my <coughs> entire ministry up to this point of house arrest at Rome. This entire ministry, the Philippian church has communicated with me, you've been burdened about me, you've given to the work. And so while we have only a couple times in the Bible mention of Paul's visits, we think historically speaking, there's evidence that Paul probably visited the church at Philippi at least three or four times. And the church tradition, as well as history, indicates he would stop there frequently to visit these people. Why? They had become his friends. And they became a group of people that he was deeply thankful for in ministry. Because the ministry between Paul and these folks was a symbiotic relationship. Paul had brought to them the gospel. They supported Paul not just financially, but they supported him with encouragement. They became a stellar and ideal church that Paul said should be modeled by other churches of the New Testament era. Now Paul talks, and I think this is interesting, to three different groups of people right away in verse number one. So look at Philippians chapter one, verse one. The Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, who are the saints? Pastor Monty, the saints are statues that cry tears. I read an article this morning about some statue that's crying tears. I, I wouldn't go visit it. It's in a real bad neighborhood, according to the article. Uh, no. Who are the saints? The saints are every person who believes on Christ. Did you know this? You're a saint. Oh, wait a minute. By the way, ladies, look at me. Look at me. Look at me right now going to say it. Your husband is a saint. <laughs> I heard a guy say amen. <laughs> okay. Ladies, look at me right now, and men look at me too. Ladies, you're saints for putting up with him. <laughs> good. And all the ladies said? Amen. Okay, good, good. I got your attention. We're all, those of us who believe on Christ, if you're a believer, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, the Bible identifies you as a saint. Now, your, your behavior might not always be saintly, but you are, according to Scripture, a saint. So he addresses it to the whole church at large, all the members of the church, those who are saved people. But then he says this at verse number one, look at it, please, with the bishops and the deacons. Pastor Monty, who are the bishops? We don't have time to turn there, but in the book of Acts, there are three titles given to pastors, okay? The bishops are the pastors. Now listen carefully. Uh, and I'll demonstrate, I can demonstrate this from Acts, but I don't have time this morning. Simple, real simple. Those are th there are three titles for the same office, okay? 
pastor has reference to the uh, shepherding aspect of being a minister or pastor like I am. Shepherding means to feed, it means to protect, it means to care for. That word is used in the New Testament. A second word is used in the New Testament regarding the same office in the church, that is the word elder. Elder carries the idea of leadership or authority within that church. A third word is used, and that is the word bishop. Bishop simply means overseer. So a pastor has three responsibilities to shepherd, to lead, and to oversee a congregation. Those three responsibilities are vested in one man. So when Paul says the, to, the, uh, to the bishops, he's talking about the pastors. Uh, yes, they had multiple pastors. The church at Philippi grew very rapidly. It became a large church. And so Paul said, I'm going to address them. Then notice the next one, the next group. He says, and the deacons. Isn't this interesting? In this verse of scripture, Paul says the church has two offices, that of bishop, pastor, elder, all one idea there, and then that of the deacons. Who are the deacons? The deacons are those who were selected by the congregation in a service aspect of the church, and they serve the church. And the other church had dealt with a lot of benevolence things. Our deacons serve us in many, many ways, folks. They put in a lot of hours for this church in decision-making and in discussion of things and bouncing ideas off. And I'm thankful for our deacons. But I want to point out that those are the two offices of the church. The pastor, bishop, elder, that's one office. And then the deacon, that's the second office. That's what the Lord has for us. So Paul addresses these uh, in regard to his letter. But I want you to notice what he says. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Just a few weeks ago, some of us had the privilege of walking down the ancient streets of Philippi, of standing in the place where Paul was beaten and where he stood trial, of looking around the ruins of what is left of what at one time was a flourishing city. And though we can't imagine exactly what it all looked like, it all looks bigger than I'd ever imagined it, because we can't imagine what it all looked like, we do know this, that that city was flourishing at the time of Paul, and that while not the largest city of the province, it was crowded with people. And there were people there whom the Spirit of God touched as Paul preached. And there were some that were one to Christ, Lydia and her family. Later on, the Philippian jailer came to know Christ, and his family came to know Christ. And over the visit, which took place during the second missionary journey, over that visit, a number of people came to know Christ, and the witness and testimony magnified, and finally there was a church established. And Paul said in verse number three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I want to ask you a question. How did Paul think about people. How did Paul think about people? In order to be scriptural in my thinking, I must determine how to think appropriately about people. This could dabble a little bit in the philosophical, except for one thing. I've got the Bible to dictate to me, in the example of the Apostle Paul, to dictate to me how I am to feel about people. And I think it's vital that this year, and I, I'm going to encourage you to do this, be thankful for everything, of course, but wouldn't it be nice this year if you focus your thanksgiving 
on the very significant people in your life. Focus on people. Now, I'm suggesting this. I'm not commanding this, but it is certainly what Paul did in his writing to the church at Philippi. He focused his thanksgiving. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So how did Paul think about people? Let me throw some ideas at you this morning. Idea number one, thank God for people. Oh, Pastor Monty, I don't like people. I'm not a people person. Hmm. You can see me after the service, and I will set up a time for you to meet with Pastor Morris for some psychological counseling. Notice I said Pastor Morris and not me. Um, Paul said he thanked God for people. Do you know what that means? Why would he thank God? Now, Now follow me. Well, why didn't he go just to the person and say, hey, I'm really thankful for you? No, Paul thanked God for the people in his life because he was willing to acknowledge that God is behind the network of people in our lives. Listen carefully. God orchestrated the people in my life. Pastor Monty, that sounds more like you're blaming. (laughs) No, no. Now, in our experience with people, there's good and bad, right, folks? There's good and bad. Have you ever thought about this? God orchestrated, God allowed, that's probably a better word in some cases, God allowed both good and bad to enter our lives for a particular reason. And Paul's attitude was not that he had banded together a bunch of people in Philippi just randomly, and he'd started a church, and these were his buddies because he got them all together. That's not his attitude. He said, behind every soul that was one, Behind every heart that was eager to hear the gospel, there is someone whose heart and life the Lord had touched, and God brought them together. When Paul went down to that little riverside looking for Jews to preach the gospel to, and he met Lydia, he looked at that as a divine appointment, and Lydia became a founder of that early church at Philippi. Here's what I'm suggesting. I should thank God for people because the people in my life are people that God orchestrated to be there. Now he said this in verse number three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Remember where Paul is writing this? He is under house arrest in Rome. Now, he wasn't in the deepest catacombs of the prison likely, but he was under house arrest. And he had lots of time to think about a lot of things. And one of the things Paul chose to do was to go through a list of memories And one of the great memories that came to his mind, probably many memories, were the things that took place at Philippi. I'm absolutely certain that when Paul says, I remembered you and I thank God upon remembrance of you, that he wasn't just remembering a city, but that cataloged in his mind, before there ever was such a thing as Facebook, can you imagine that? Cataloged in his mind were people who came to mind and he under Roman house arrest is saying, Lord, I'm thankful for so-and-so. And maybe he smiled. And that, oh, think about so-and-so, well, what about so-and-so? And uh, probably a whole list of people, the converts at the church of Philippi, they came into his mind, and as he remembered them, he was thankful. I think memories prompt thankfulness, and the Holy Spirit can prompt our memories. I'm suggesting that if we want to be thankful for people, We need to be purposeful in remembering. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in this. Dwell in memories for a little while because great memories always make a grateful heart. 
By the way, someone said, Pastor Bonnie, I don't have a whole lot to be thankful for this year. You really do, okay? You really do. I can show you what you have to be thankful. I don't have a whole, no, you really do. But sometimes if your thankfulness level is thin this year, you could turn back the clock of your mind to think of things you're grateful for, people you are grateful for from your past. It's really a blessing to do that. It produces a grateful heart. You might even take this radical step and use your personal devotion time, just a few moments of it, as a time to go back through your mind and think about people who impacted your life. I had a really fun experience this week. A man that I haven't seen probably in 20 years. A man that I worked for uh, years ago when I was in Minnesota. He came with his wife, he and his wife came to visit. His name is Skip. His name is Skip. You say, how did you know Skip? He was the manager of an auto shop. He's a member of our church. But he was the owner and manager of a large private auto shop in town, not affiliated with, uh, with any particular brand of automobile. Very large shop. And I needed extra money, and Skip needed some help, but I think I needed the money more than Skip needed the help. And so at a point in time, he said, why don't you be the office manager on Mondays? Now let me tell you something, folks. I never turned a wrench. No. That would have put that business right under. <laughs> but I managed the office because I'm good with people. I thought I was good with people. Do you know I'm very grateful for that man? He came by to visit. We had lunch together. He and his wife, their daughter. Do you know why I'm very grateful? Because I got to thinking in my mind the things that that man taught me. He taught me generosity. While I worked for him just on Mondays over the years of working there, several years, I can promise you on Mondays alone that he and his wife gave away multiple tens of thousands of dollars, cash and prizes to people who came and had a need. I'll never forget the young couple who came with a baby and their car was being checked out and Skip came and explained the brakes are shot on this car, I can't release it to you because they don't work. And legally I can't release this to you. And the woman holding the baby, she started to cry. These people were, had never been customers before. I had the records. And, and uh, she started to cry. And um, his wife, Bev, got up from her seat, and she went through a little file cabinet. And she pull, was pulling something out of the file cabinet. And the lady was saying, what, what will we do? What will we do? And I remember she pulled the title out, and she said, you know, she said, we've got a car in the back. Skip had fixed it up. She said, uh, we were going to sell it. But she said, here, I'm going to give this to you as a gift. It was a very nice car. She didn't even know these people. That, that, that couple taught me generosity. I saw them in one felt swoop buy for a Christian evangelist a vehicle that was worth a, a dually truck that was worth probably $70,000 brand new. He taught me something about life. He taught me that if you're a generous person, those things will flow back to you. He also taught me how to deal with people. Do you know what's a great thing about a, an automobile shop? You want to know what's great about it? Um, everyone who comes in there is mad. <laughs> thought about that? Nobody goes into that shop with a good attitude. So this was, I had to make these people happy. <coughs> At least make their car run. He taught me how to deal with difficult people. That was great training for Baptist church work. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm not. And as I thought through my mind 
of the things that this man taught me. My heart filled with thanksgiving. By the way, when I, when I saw him, I told him, I said, you taught me this, and you taught me this, and you taught me this. Do you know what that did for me? It warmed my heart. I'm just suggesting that Paul expressed thanksgiving for people. But number two, look at what else he did. Verse four, the Bible says, of those for whom he was thankful, always in every prayer of mind for you all, making request with joy. Not only did he thank God for people, but he prayed for people. He prayed for people. He genuinely prayed. Now, we ought to remember people in prayer. The church has a prayer list. It's good to pray for them. I hope you have a personal prayer list that is purposeful and that you pray for people. And as you go through your memories, and maybe the Lord brings something to your mind, maybe the Lord even brings something to your mind in this message. I hope you'll, but Pastor Monty, you know the story you told, it warmed my heart and I thought about so-and-so, okay? Don't just remember them. And don't just be thankful in your heart for them. But take a moment to pray for them. You say, Pastor, well, I haven't seen this person in years. May I tell you that lifting them before the throne of grace in prayer will make you closer to them in spirit than you could possibly be. I have a friend who's away somewhere, has been away for a couple months somewhere, haven't seen him or talked to him lately. Every day, I, because of circumstances in this man's life, every day I pray for him. And while he can't communicate with me, every day I pray. And every day I feel close to him, even though there can be no communication right now. I think prayer helps us to soften our heart toward people that may be our nemesis. Nemesis is a fancy word for enemy. <laughs> Pastor Mike, I just can't stand so-and-so. I'm so glad you told me that. Now, do you pray for that person? Because prayer can change our hearts. Well, you don't even know what blah, blah, blah. I don't want to know. But you know, prayer would really change our hearts. Praying for people blesses me. It It puts me in the place of the blessing of God. It, by the way, when I pray for someone, it places the burden of my heart for them on God. Maybe I can do nothing for this person, but I know someone who can. And I can go and seek an intercessory prayer for this person to the God of heaven, and I can say, God intervene, God give strength, God give wisdom, I can turn to him. Ladies and gentlemen, not just thanking God for people, but praying for people. Our prayers have the power to really change things. But then I want you to see something else. How did Paul respond to people? What was was his relationship with people? Look at verse 4 right at the end. He said, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. With joy. Yeah. Do you know what Paul did? This is going to be revolutionary to some of you. Paul enjoyed people. Paul enjoyed people. Paul's thankfulness and prayers were fueled by his genuine joy over the Philippians. Do you know what the major theme of the book of Philippians is? It's joy. There is no church in the New Testament that receives greater praise than does the Philippian church. And that excellent spirit that was exhibited in the Philippian church, it made the apostle Paul happy. And Paul focused his relationships on people who would fuel his joy. How do you know? 
He visited, we don't know how many times, but he visited Philippi over and over again. Why did he go there so much? Because they fueled him with joy. You know what, if you have someone in your life that brings you joy, you should have some contact with that person. In fact, the more the merrier. If you have someone in your life that brings you down, avoid them like the plague. You can just pray for them. No, Paul really enjoyed these people. He said, they bring me joy when I think about you, when I pray for you. He focused his relationship on the type of people who would fuel his heart with joy. By the way, this is good. You know what you ought to be? You ought to be an enjoyable person. You ought to be. Well, Pastor Monty, there are three kinds of people. You always hear there's two kinds of people. No, no, there's three kinds of people. Okay, there are givers. There are givers. Man, that's the church at Philippi. Toward the end of the letter, Paul's going to praise them for their early support, their ongoing support, and their present support for his ministry. And they were encouragers. They were the kind of people that gave. They got so involved in church. And by the way, they got born again. They got saved. And then they got so involved in ministry that they gave, not just financially, but in encouragement and in following (coughs) carefully the preaching and teaching. All those things encouraged Paul. They were givers. And Paul was fueled by them. There are people like that. You should be a giver. I'm not just talking about money, okay? Because that's easy. That's easy. I'm talking about giving of yourself. I'm talking maybe about giving of your time. I'm talking giving of your encouragement. They're givers. Then there's a second kind of people we often think about. They are takers. They're takers. Tell you, you meet some people like that. You know what those people are? They're demanding. They're dissatisfied. They come to expect everything, and they give virtually nothing. They have high standards for everyone around them, but they don't for themselves. They have high expectations for everything around everyone around them, but they don't for themselves. It's the person who gets a sniffle, and the church doesn't start up the meal train. Whoop, whoop. Meal train. Meal train. Whoop, whoop. I got a sniffle, and the church didn't start the meal train. Someone, I've had people call me and say stuff like that. <laughs> Do you know what I say? I said... At the last meal train we had, did you participate? Yeah. Don't, don't be a taker. Okay, don't be a taker. That's so, that's so, that just wears everyone out. But there's a third kind of people. You've heard the giver and taker. There's a third. Do you know what I call them? Drainers. Drainers? Yeah. They're complainers. They're negative. They're critical. They're judgmental. And they're quarrelsome. Well, pastor, the church at Philippi was such a model church. It had no problem with this. Oh, 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 take your Bible. Turn to chapter 4. Just turn over a page or two. Turn to chapter 4. With all of the good things that were going on in the church at Philippi, it's still, there still managed to be a drainer. In fact, there were two of them. Look, if you will, at uh, Philippians 4, verse number 1. Paul says, therefore, my uh, brethren, dearly beloved, he loved these people. He loved his church. This, this church was special. My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy. Do you see that? They infused him with joy and crown. He said, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Y'all, keep it together. You've encouraged me. Everything that's going on in Philippi has encouraged me. 
But now look, clouds begin to gather a little on the horizon as Paul is penning these words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He says, I beseech Yodius, it's a lady in the church, that's a female name, and beseech Syntyche, that's another female name, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So, Pastor Monty, what happened? These two ladies had a fuss. Everybody knew about it. Paul wasn't telling tales out of school by addressing them by name. It's interesting, the name Yodius means fragrant. Fragrant. Apparently she was a real stinker. <laughs> and the name Syntyche actually means fortunate. Maybe she had more than Yodius, and that was the, the fuss. I don't know. But whatever it was, they were in a fight. They were in a fight big enough to have their fuss immortalized for all eternity on the pages of the Bible. Like, wouldn't that be super embarrassing? Wouldn't that be super? I mean, if, 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 if you're Yodius and say, I can just see Yodius and say, now, I can just see it, I can just see it. Yodius, and Sinkiki, it's catfight every time you come to church. <laughs> and under the divine inspiration, their names are forever immortalized as two ladies who couldn't get along. They, they would be an example of some drainers, right? Don't be a drainer. Paul had his strength, his joy. It, 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 it was all infused by people, most of the church, who just loved the Lord and wanted to do the, the right thing. You want to thank God for people, you want to pray people, but you also want to enjoy them. And if you want to enjoy people, learn to be an enjoyable person. I, I could put it this way to make it real practical. Learn to be the guy or the lady that makes people smile. That's simple enough. Pastor Monty, I'm just not a funny person. You, you don't have to be funny. But are you the person that makes someone smile? There's people that come up to me at church, I can't help but to smile. And it's not because they look funny. Some of them do, but not saying who, so. Not because they look funny, it's because when I see that person, they just bring joy. There's something about them, they carry joy with them. If you want to, be, if you want to enjoy people, be an enjoyable person. Ask yourself the question, do I carry burdens? criticisms, negativity, or am I a lighthouse of joy to the people that are around me? The people that give the most joy typically have the most close relationships. Be the person that makes another person smile. So Paul thanked God for people, he prayed for people, he enjoyed people, but look at verse number five, quickly, verse number five, back to chapter one. Paul says this, for, and the use of the preposition for means because of, for is a very flexible preposition, for or because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You're to thank God for people, you're to pray for people, you're to enjoy people, but you're also to invest in people. Invest in people. See, this was, this was Paul's attitude. Paul invested in the Philippian church. What The words fellowship of the gospel you know, Pastor Monty, fellowship means we got together and ate like pigs. Well, amen. It means that in part. 
But when you have the words fellowship of the gospel, it specifically means the symbiotic relationship between Paul and that church. The giving of the gospel by Paul and the giving of support by the church. And not just financial support, but (laughs) encouragement and support on every level. Paul invested in the Philippian church. By the way, he invested to the point of being persecuted. He invested to the point of a night at jail. He invested to the point of being under great threat. Paul had poured out his heart and the Philippian people poured out theirs as well. You see, if I'm going to respond properly to people, I need to be willing to invest in them. An encouraging relationship as Paul strengthened them and they strengthened him. Now, do I have an example of a church that's opposite of that, a contrast? I sure do. The Philippian church brought Paul great joy and the Corinthian church, not too many miles down the road, folks, Corinthian church, horse of a different color. He wrote two letters to them that we have in our Bible, but several other letters that are mentioned that we do not have in the Bible. They're not inspired. The ones we have in the Bible are inspired, but he wrote several other letters. And the church at Corinth was a grief to the Apostle Paul. Oh, he was glad they were genuinely saved and that they had genuine spiritual gifts. But if you read 1 Corinthians... He's constantly correcting everything. And the whole burden of the first four chapters is division in the church. He said, you're acting like a bunch of children. You're bickering over personalities. This one's better, this one. You're you're, you're taking sides. You're in competition. And he said, it's all carnal and fleshly. And it grieved the mind of Paul. Paul invested in them. But the return on the investment, oh, it was great in relationship to souls, but it was burdensome in relationship to problems. Paul invested in the Philippian church, and he described it as a fellowship in the gospel. So you know what we ought to do? We ought to thank God for the people who have invested in us. When I was thinking about this message, I started writing down names. I wrote down so many names I couldn't possibly go through them all. And if I tried to go through them all, I would forget someone. So I'm not going to do that. I might mention a couple. But I thought, what a good thing to thank God for people invested in you. Now, there are some obvious ones. Your, your parents, they invested in you. Your teachers invested in you. By the way, they cared enough, some of them cared enough, to take you aside privately and help you with an issue in your life. That's a person who really cares. So a good friend doesn't, isn't just there for the good times. A good friend is there to reflect and to help you to be a better man or a better woman, to be a better person. That's part of what a real friendship does. I remember my first year in a Christian school. I wasn't a, a Christian. I was from an unsaved background, didn't know a thing about the Bible. My dad had died the previous fall. I'm in Christian school now, not knowing one thing about this, nothing about it. And after class a few weeks in, my homeroom teacher called me, and after, after that homeroom session, the other students were going, he said, hey, he said, Mark, stay here a minute, stay here a minute. And I thought, I'm in trouble. Not only was he my homeschool, I mean homeroom teacher, but he was also my math teacher. Okay, nothing makes my skin crawl like mathematics. 
Nothing, nothing. I've never had much of a use for it except to figure out 10% the tithe. That's about it. I... So the math teacher, my homeroom teacher, pulls me aside. He says, hey, he said, uh, I'm just in eighth grade. I was not a Christian. I was not a Christian. I didn't understand all of it. And he said, hey, can I show you something out of the Bible? He said, we know about your background, that your dad died less than a year ago. He said, we know about that. He said, I want to show you something in the Bible. This math teacher took his Bible and opened it up. I will never forget this. And he showed a kid who knew nothing about the Bible that over and over again on the pages of Scripture, the Bible says that God will be a father to the fatherless. His name was Mr. McLean. And he just showed me. He said, I want to show you something in the Bible. He said, I know you lost your dad. But he said, I want to show you that God has promised in a unique way to take up for your lack of a human father and that God will be a father of the fatherless. May I say something about that, ma that man's action? That wasn't part of the lesson plan. That man's action impacted me from that moment on, and it was a significant seed that the Lord had planted for me to come to faith in Christ. Can I say something? That's imp impactful. He invested. Oh, it wasn't a long time, maybe 10 minutes. But he invested, and he didn't have to. But he did so out of a heart of love. We want to thank God for the people who've invested in us, for pastors, Think of my youth pastor, Craig Colbreth. He's spoken here before and the incredible impact he had on my life. For friends, by the way, you all know who you are. For friends who've just poured themselves into me and been a sounding board, allowed me to be a sounding board. I, I'm simply saying this. Paul didn't just preach to people. He invested. Now, you can't invest in everyone. There's 7 billion, 8 billion people in the world, I guess, now. I can influence as many as I can, but... I can invest in some, and I should invest in some, a great many as many as I can. I should do that because I have a litany of people who have done that for me, and so do you. A litany. Ah, Pastor, I'm kind of a self-made man. <laughs> I don't believe it for a minute. There are a litany of people who gave you something, a piece of wisdom, a word of encouragement, who said, hey, don't quit. You're just about to win. Don't quit. People who maybe in a moment's time with nothing more than a concerned comment help to set the direction of your life. Investment in people, of course, is personal. It takes time, effort, and it's very interactive. But I want to say this. Investments have good returns. A good investment, a wise investment, has a good return. And God's done that hundreds of times in my own life. So this Thanksgiving, what am I thankful for? Well, I'm, I'm thankful for horses. I don't know. It's a little bit of a stretch. No, I'm thankful for a lot of things. But I want to focus this Thanksgiving on thankful for people. Thankful to God for my family for my wife who for 33 years has put up with this. You talk, what do you mean this? The ministry? No, this, me. Who for 33 years has stood behind me rolling her eyes. <laughs> as every good woman does. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for good kids. 
My son's never caused me a moment's trouble. And by the way, I'm thankful for a good church that didn't put my kids under a microscope. God bless you for that. You allowed them just to be kids. Okay, they grew up being kids. By the way, you interfere in my family, you've crossed a line and you're gonna get it. But you never have. You never have. Just firing a warning shot across the old bow, but you never have. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for men in this church who poured into me, who sought a relationship, a friendship. I'm thankful for my staff that serves in such a way as to take care of everything besides this pulpit ministry. They really do. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for them for being not only employees, but very close friends. Men who will have a real conversation with me when that needs to happen, and it does. Men who will encourage, men who will support, men who will help. So this Thanksgiving, and I'm going to challenge you to do it too, think of all the things you're thankful for. Write a list. Horses. (laughs) But maybe, maybe to be a little more specific, write down some names and then pray for them and thank God for them. And maybe with one or two, send them a note. Huh? Or is that in the Bible? (laughs) Paul loved these people and thanked God for them. And you know what he did? Under divine inspiration of the Spirit of God, he wrote them a note. And it's called the book of Philippians. And out of fullness of heart, he wrote that note. Divine inspiration of the Spirit of God, and it became one of the most blessed books of our New Testament. Folks, let's make it special. Say what we should say while we can say it. Well, we have an opportunity. Open your heart and make it real this Thanksgiving. Father, thank you for a great example in your word of a man who genuinely and properly loved people. And I pray, Father, you'll help us as we maybe think about how grateful we should be for for folks in our past, folks in our present. God, that you have woven a tapestry that is rich, and joyful. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's entertaining. But Lord, you've woven this tapestry in our lives. No man is an island. And Father, I pray you'll help us to be grateful for those in our lives that are a source of joy. Thank you for loving us. We pray you would help us to encourage someone else as a fruit of this message. In Jesus' name, stand with me.